0: Speculative Incognita. Fiction, Terra Incognita, Terra Incognita Speculative Terra Incognita.
1: Fiction. Welcome to this month's Terra Incognita Australian Speculative Fiction podcast. I'm your host, Keith Stevenson. Put simply, Terra Incognita is the best Australian speculative fiction Read by the authors who created it. And please visit tisf.com.au for links to our featured author's website and publications. This month's featured writer is Jason Fisher, writer of the now near legendary Undead Camels Ate Their Flesh. Jason's horror tales have graced the swag of Australian and overseas magazines, and his story for TISF, For Want of a Jesus Man, shows you can deny your nature all you want but in the end, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference.
0: Lanyard Everett knew a Sheila once, who didn't want a crooked man, but liked the idea of being kept by one. When he talked of being apprenticed to a Jesus man, she tried to stab him, and he had to hurt her some. He left her there in a bubble of blood and teeth, and followed a man named Bauer into a new life. There'll be hatred for you and yours, Bauer tried to warn him, but Lanyard laughed. He'd never known anything else and didn't have anyone anyway. The old Jesus man had smelled him out, pulled him from his crooked ways. First thing he made him do was burn a Bible. This is just to let you know that the old rules are gone, Bower said. The Jesus doesn't have a book for the now times, and you'd be mad to want to write it. They sat there in silence, the old man poking the burning paper with a stick. Lanyard couldn't remember ever having read it, and the tiny print made his eyes swim in their sockets. He was glad to see the pages curl and blacken. No books anymore, Bower said. You ever need guidance, you make his mark. But don't let anyone see you making it. Certain folks will kill you over it. Lanyard killed Bower himself in what some would call a crisis of faith. He killed the next Jesus man that came for him, and then they left him alone. One year with Bower, and he learnt enough to hate their kind, just like everyone else did. If he carries that mark, then he serves the Jesus, said one of Gareth's new men. Lanyard pretended he didn't understand the river patois, which sometimes served him well. Comments like that were meant to end in blood. Lanyard? Gareth laughed. He was the boss man, and it was never Gary, unless you wanted drama and hurt. No, he's not. On my oath, he's as far from one of those fools as a man can get. He ignored them, worked on rolling another cigarette, trying not to drop his tobacco each time the barge pitched. The gun often got comments, but he'd be a fool to be rid of it. It was Bowers' shotgun, the wooden stock carved with Jesus marks and pictures, the barrel etched with forgotten words that no one knew how to read anymore. It brought a lot of trouble, but a gun was a gun, and they were rare enough in the now. Get them ropes ready, we're here, Gareth said, cutting the motor. The men threw the ropes to the dock, and some Torsi fellas tied them alongside the crude pier. A Torsi was taller than a man, bristling with sharp spines on his head and back. Lanyard knew that the river folk called them spiny, or worse. A better word he might have used was echidna, but he'd only heard it in dreams, so he kept that word tight. They unloaded the gear. They were running grog to the Torsi, as there was more profit in it than medicine or food. Never mind the misery they were causing, and the fact that a patrol would shoot them on sight for breaking town law, there was trade and profit to be had and damn the indigenous. Where's your boss man? Gareth asked one of the deckhands. He spoke loud, as if the Torsi were deaf or simple. A Torsi could hear a bird's shadow and tell you its name, but men were men, and they laughed and told jokes. The deckhand gestured, his coat of quills expanding. This one was getting huffy. Lanyard was always wary around the Torsi. They ate sand and had workings inside them hot enough to make sharp glass. Gareth's men followed, all but the man with the working gat who was made to watch the barge. "'You see anyone on that river, they get the bullet,' he told the man, "'a trusty and not one of the new recruits who does likely nick the gun and the boat. "'None meant to be here but us.' Humping and lugging the rattling crates of moonshine, they followed the Torsi back to their settlement." It was a rude place, all shanties and humpies and campfires. This mob had some of the yellow furred native dogs, half-starved and whining. For all their bravado on the boat, none of the grog-runners said a word, or met any of the sullen looks cast at them by the locals. Though these were half-civilised addicts, a Torsi could launch battle glass through a man's heart at twenty steps. At last they were at the trade stone. The bossman of this settlement was an old buck named Poria, his spines turning white and his eyes near eaten by cataracts. Near as Lanyard could guess, he intended to drink himself to death and take his mob with him. We brung it, Gareth said, placing an unlabeled flagon on the stone. What do you got for us today? Nothing for you, Poria spat. You would destroy our people, I would give you nothing. Gareth smiled and put another bottle on the trade stone, and then another. Poria relented. "'reached into the pouch that was part of his skin. "'He unwrapped something wrapped in a thick leaf, "'gave a hearty sigh that made his quills rustle and click together. "'Very old,' he said, "'placing the delicate glass sculpture on the stone. "'It was a masterwork even by Torsi standards, "'a beautiful abstract catching the sun how it was meant to. "'It would hold the light long after dusk, "'twinkling in the dark like a little star. "'A good start,' Gareth said.' what else for the trade?' "'Nothing else,' Poria said. "'This is our history. It's worth more than you or any man.' "'Gareth said nothing. "'When he made as to take the booze away from the trade stone, "'Poria put up his hands. "'More glass was brought out, and they both kissed the stone, "'striking a deal. "'Lanyard was ready, and knew this was the time that things could sour. "'The Torsi had no love for the grog-runners.' and sometimes their crushed spirits flared into violence. It would happen quickly if it happened. They would fill the air with glass and death before the men could raise their guns. Gareth was getting greedy and stupid. The Tawsey may sell their treasures today for his poison, but they would regret their loss, doubly so through a hangover. The next visit to this settlement would end in tears. Lanyard Everett did nothing to stop this, never did. Even if he was a great and noble man, that type went hungry these days. Gareth's coin bore his guns and his silence. Lanyard had not meant to fall into this line of work, but Gareth was right. He was as far from a Jesus man as you could get. Lanyard had a little rat's nest of a room. It was in a before-time building, and it cost him nothing. A few people were mad enough to squat in one, and when the twisted structure sprang out of the ground, all melted and crooked-looking, Lanyard leapt at the chance to move out of Gareth's place. He did not wish to have all his eggs in that particular basket. Near as he knew, there were three or four others living in the building. What furniture was left in it was twisted and wrong, but this place was big enough that the squatters hardly saw each other. There were other places like this. He'd seen skyscrapers jutting sideways from cliffs, cities underwater, half melted houses out in the middle of nowhere. It was just rubbish from the before times, and these dead places did nothing but confuse and upset folks living in the now. There was still water in the pipes, though Lanyard wasn't that foolish. A lad could bring you a cask of boiled river water for a crown, but Lanyard always boiled it again. He'd worked on the delta long enough to know how filthy the water got. I got a job for you, Mr Everett, Gareth said. He wasn't scared by his new before time place, and seemed to respect Lanyard more for having moved out. A grog run, he asked, and the portly criminal shook his head. He took in the cramped little room, the walls at odd angles. Lanyard had made a bed of sorts, a jumble of rags and boards. He tacked mosquito netting over the doorway. The window was fused and didn't open. The glass was all warped and looked like a sheet of toffee. You get any ghosts in here? he asked Lanyard. My friend tells me these places are a home for ghosts. No ghosts. Just four-time dreams, Lanyard said. The job? Ah, we need to go overland and inland and maybe further. Man wants us to kill another man. You in? Lanyard nodded. That's far enough, Lanyard told the boy. He held the shotgun to the lad's head. The boy looked from the gun, the wooden stock completely covered in mad etchings, to the whip-thin man glaring at him from under a battered slouch hat. The boy dropped the sharp little rabbit knife. "'never taking his eyes from his. "'Tender little mouth, a black O of fear. "'He looked like he was about to cry. "'That your pa?' Lanyard asked the boy, who nodded yes. "'The body was folded up in the dirt, "'a great hole in his belly and a kinder one between his eyes. "'I had to kill your pa, "'but I won't harm you if you don't do nothing stupid. "'The boy must have been all of ten years. "'He didn't have a friend in the world now, "'but he had the balls to stand up to his daddy's killer.' Lanyard felt an ache then, deep in his bones. He'd been feeling it for months now, on and off, but never this strong. His teeth felt sore, his skin itched like crazy. Someone was watching him, had seen him murder another man out here, deep in the bush and as far from town law as you could get. Damn you, Bower, he said. He knew the signs now for what they meant, and wished that he'd never met the old man. A man just didn't need to know some things... He could feel the witch, somewhere close, and the witch would feel him, and know him for what he was. The boy looked a little less scared now, thinking that Lanyard was the worst of his problems. Lanyard picked up the boy's knife and threw it as far as he could. He broke the shotgun, primed another round into the breech. The boy was staring at his gun. It told the story of a man that let himself get pinned to a tree, led everyone to a land of flies and dust, Not to paradise, not to heaven, here. The boy's pa might have told him stories of the Jesus late at night, to give him delicious shivers around the campfire. At last, the distant sound of the skiff. Gareth must have had trouble getting the ancient motor started. Five minutes after you hear shots, he told his boss man. The damn noisy thing would have scared the dead man to ground. He must have known that someone would be coming for him. He'd stalked the mark on foot before shooting him dead. Lannis started to get the shakes then, a very bad sign. He startled, seeing a white shape through the trees, and he knocked the boy to the ground with his free hand. He almost let off a round of shot before cursing himself. It was a termite mound, half hidden by trees and spinifex, bleached by the sun. He was right to be scared. He could feel a great dark presence, something lurking unseen in the scrub. If he was right, it would sniff him out and come for him. They hated his kind and with good reason. He could see the familiar shape of the skiff through the trees and felt the beginnings of hope. Gareth pulled up in the rusty old wind cart, the machine coughing and belching blue smoke. The sails were limp, the air sticky and still, and if the motor gave out, they'd be walking. He raised an eyebrow at Lanyard and nodded meaningfully at the boy, as if to say, why don't you kill him? But Lanyard ignored him. If he was right, and there was something out here, It could feed on the boy, and they'd have time to run. Lanyard had the presence of mind to hack off the dead man's pinky finger with his bowie knife. Proof for payment. He climbed into the passenger seat of the skiff, the tube frame rocking under his weight. "'Don't leave me here!' the boy yelled out over the spluttering engine, but Lanyard shook his head and told Gareth to go. With the roar of the dying motor and a cloud of dust and stones, they left the lad in the middle of nowhere." It was a long minute before the ache in his bones left him, and even then he watched their back trail till sunset. He'd never been a real Jesus man, but try telling that to a hungry witch. I guess it doesn't matter about the boy, Gareth said. You should have killed him out of kindness. Mark my words, an orphan is just a bum in training. Lanyard said nothing, just stared into the depths of his beer. His soul was already filthy with shame, but this was a new low. They were drinking in a shanty that straddled a crossroads. The whole place was on stilts, more for the gimmick than for avoiding the overland heat. Still, it helped a little. There were Torsey at the next table, nasty drunk and quills flared. Gareth hated the natives, hated their weakness and exploited it. Lanyard did not like what Gareth did, but he'd advanced him some coin and never cheated him that he knew of. "'You're my best gun, Lanyard!' "'You never lose it when they're throwing glass and shit at you. "'Men die, and I've always got to press new recruits, but you?' "'And Gareth was rolling, sweaty drunk, "'the way he got when a job went well. "'Lanyard drank very little, "'knowing that part of his job was to guard this man, "'and focusing on work kept a man from thinking too much. "'You're worth ten of them river bitches,' he said, "'glassy-eyed sincerity. "'I love you, Lanyard, I do.' "'You don't love anyone,' one of the Tawsey said. He was standing over them both, sharp spines puffing out aggressively. Lanyard already had the shotgun and a pistol out, covering the room. He could see the tip of a battle glass, the sharp point pushing through the webbing of the Torsi's hand. He could see the telltale dull glow of the spines drawing the heat away from its body, knew that the native was brewing up a batch of hurt. A Torsi could cut up a man slow on the trigger.' This one here, he only loves the money. If things went wrong, he would leave you to die. Lanyard agreed, silently, but kept pressure on the triggers. He was running low on ammo, but no one needed to know that. If you know who I am, you know that you caught strife, Gareth laughed. You touch me, a crew will wipe your people out. You groggers have already wiped my people out, the Tawzi said. He backed down, quills lowered. Nodding once at Lanyard. The enormous creature returned to its seat and its drink. Lanyard stood guard at the door when Gareth went to relieve himself, and that was when the Torsi made a quiet offer to him. He wasn't surprised. They'd only been testing him. We've heard whispers of what you are. I'm no one. Always the tired denial, eyes wary for a fist or worse. It's a dark day when we need to search out your kind, the drunkest spiny said. This was our land till your dying man brung you lot here. That's not my problem. Be quick, my boss man returns. We were sent for want of a Jesus man. We've got a witching fellow what needs seeing to. They slipped some tawsey glass into his hands, which he didn't even look at. He left Gareth snoring that night, knowing the fat gangster would only pretend to be mad if and when he returned for more work. They made good time through the scrub and then cut across the salt flats, the tawsey bounding along a path that Lanyard had trouble seeing in the dark. They slowed down for the man. He didn't have the long sweeping dog legs that they did. Every few miles they passed a great mound of glass, tall like a termite's nest. They were like beacons, great spires that lit the plains. There was no sense to these sculptures. He guessed they were for navigating, but the natives wouldn't talk about them. He was glad to pass them by. He gauged them to be the size of your average Torsi and didn't want to know much more. Just before dawn they reached the camp. He could see the dim glow of much Torsi glass, knew that this tribe hadn't sold its heritage. He'd heard of wild Tawsey, pushed from the good land but still living the old ways. Perhaps it was only these young ones that snuck the grog beneath their elders' snouts. Lanyard didn't speak Tawse, but he knew some of their signs. He'd never seen a tribe like this before. A dozen different clan standards dotted the fireground. Their best clan glass glittered in the morning light, tied with long ropes of sinew along a cross stave. He knew the patterns of knots meant something, like a calendar or something to do with numbers, but then again no one cared about the natives save from what they could steal from them. A clan standard went for a small fortune in the towns, for street lights and such. Would a mob of leftover tribes bits and pieces? One of his guides said. Them grogmen and the slavers have ruined the rest. Lanyard had been both things and deemed it wise to say nothing. They called for their elders in their sharp honking tongue, and they came out, suspicious and hateful of the man folk the young Tawsey had brought to them. There's a witching fella roaming our lands, one of them said in halting man talk. We've sent our kin to drive him away, but none of them come back. I'll give you advice, Lanyard said. Move on. You got witch trouble? You leave, or it'll kill you. There's no moving on, the elder snarled. You man-folk have taken all the good land. we got nowhere left but here. Lanyard gathered his thoughts, rolled a cigarette. He was running low on tobacco, but offered the pouch to the Torsi. He was just being polite and knew that they would decline. The smoke's making most Torsi ill. They looked ridiculous when they tried, with a lit durry hanging out of that droopy snout. I contract the witch and find its home, so you can mark it and avoid it. No more than that. Not for all your glass. Move on and live. "'Why'd you come then?' the old one said. "'You knew we got a witch. "'Why are you really here?' He could have talked about a young lad he'd left to die in his place. Shame was a currency the Torsi definitely understood, but Lanyard, he didn't speak. He just put down the glass what they'd paid him with already and walked away. He heard them cursing him in their tongue, but he didn't turn around. When he was out of their sight, he checked his pockets. He had enough ammo left to do what needed doing.' He lay flat on a broad rock and looked like a denim gecko, an overhang shading him from the murderous sun that was already baking the salt flats below. He'd felt enough signs to guess that he was close. There'd been the distant buzzing, like a mosquito was trapped in his ear. His teeth began to ache just a little. "'Come out, you pale piece of shit,' he muttered, checking his gear again. The shotgun was ready, both barrels." He had a revolver and a newer gun that loaded from a clip, but these might not be much good. Still, a rain of bullets should give anything a moment of doubt. He reefed out a pair of field glasses from his battered satchel. They'd come through the shift from the before time, with almost no damage, just a scratch on the left lens. Cost him a fortune, but worth every coin. He thumbed the focus dial, and Lanyard could see a pair of Torsi hunting some small creature far below. They brought it down with battle glass and while they were busy skinning it, the witch showed itself. There was nothing Lanyard could do from this distance. He could only watch as a white shape loped across the ground with great, mile-eating strides, unnaturally quick. The low buzz in Lanyard's ear jumped to a painful screech, and then there was just the horrible vision of a great shifting shape eating the Torsi alive. The witch knew the right words, the ones to persuade the living to keep perfectly still while they ripped at their flesh. They would feel everything. Lanyard Everett was no fool. He did not slither down from his hiding place, go charging across the open ground with guns ablazing. It took hours, but the witch ate the pear spines and all, finally cracking the last bone open to get to the marrow. The pain in Lanyard's teeth had been greatest by this spot, so he knew the witch had a lair in these hills. It wouldn't be the true nest, just the crossing point. The witch would pass by with a full belly and dull wits, and Lanyard would do his best to kill it. He could see the witch clearly now, weaving as if drunk. It had the form of a great obese man, and then the pasty white flesh ran like wax until the witch was a dog whose belly dragged upon the ground. Then it became a great fleshy cloud out of a nightmare that had trouble moving. It settled for wearing a man's skin and came lurching up the path. The pain grew of the ache in Lanyard's bones as the witch approached. The witch would only be thinking of sleep now, and so it didn't see Lanyard waiting on the rocks above. The sun flashed on the barrel of the gun, etched with little signs of the crossing man, words from another world. Close now, and he leaned over the edge, tracking the witch. His fingers caressed the double trigger, but there was a noise on the rock next to him. He swung the gun up, but suddenly his skull was a fire pit, a noise filled his universe like a thousand screams as a second witch sang him into oblivion. Wake up, Jesus man, one of the witches said. He knew without looking that they would have him in one of their nests, those grey spaces halfway between before and now. Yes, wake up, Jesus man, we know what you are, the other said. They spoke in a mixture of words and mind-raping thoughts that sounded like radiostatic and made his head throb. He was tied up against something hard. You know nothing, they had said. They had him naked in the grey place and bound to something, and he could see both wends, as if through filthy glass. One witch ran a sharp stub of yellow fingernail across Lanyard's chest, tracing the outline of his Jesus tattoo. It would have been elaborate, but he'd abandoned it years ago, half-finished. Such beautiful ink! A shame to be left undone, the witch sighed. We can't find many of your kind in the now, said the other witch. It took the form of Gareth from his mind. "'wore it to make a point. "'It is delicious to eat a misguided fool.' "'Most Jesus men found a way back to before the witch touching him laughed. "'He dug his nails in hard, lifting skin, drawing blood. "'They're not welcome in the now, are they, Lanyard?' "'Neither are you,' Lanyard said. "'His arms were really beginning to ache, and then he realised they'd crucified him. "'We've half a Jesus man and eternity to play with it,' not Gareth said." What shall we do? The tattoo, the first witch said, maggoty flesh melting and reforming into the skin of Lanyard himself. Not a mirror image, but something crooked and wrong. If it wants to wear a picture of the crossing man, it needs finishing. Fool, shut your mouth! Terrified, Lanyard looked through the dirty glass, separating before and now, wondered what they were going to do to him, knowing that he would die here, and hard. An age they kept him there, stuck between the wares and the when's. Not Lanyard and Not Gareth were well fed and did not need to hunt. From what Lanyard knew, they did not need to eat often, not till their world-hopping and phantasms drained them. They visited every kind of torture on him, short of eating his flesh. He was violated, hunted in mazes conjured from nothing, made to confess his darkest secrets while screaming in pain. They broke him down to nothing, he who wasn't much of a man to begin with. Then, just to build up his hopes, they let him go. He took ten steps through the salt flats, breathed in the clean, fresh air of the now, and then they snatched him up, dragged him screaming back through the ether, back to their nest and the cross. This time they used spikes, not rope. He flexed his fingers, whips of agony, dancing around the spike through his palm. Touching the ragged wound, his fingertip was soaked in his own blood and on his palm he made a mark he'd never meant to, a simple cross. ''Help me,'' crucified Lanyard said, and was suddenly somewhere else. He was sitting by a cook fire in the middle of the scrub, ten years younger and dressed in the patched manner of a crooked man. Bower, the old Jesus man, was sitting there, wearing the slouch hat and poking at the little critter he'd killed for their supper. ''Never could understand you, Mr. Everett,'' the dead man said, You coveted my stuff so much you bust my head open with that rock. And Crooked Lanyard saw the jagged stone in his own hands, seconds before being covered with brain and bits of skull. If you'd just asked, I'd have given you everything I owned. Where am I? Lanyard asked, dropping the stone. Oh, you're still in that grey place, two witches tormenting you. You're just paying an old man a visit. You made the mark of something you don't believe in, but make the mark you did. The Jesus? Enough with the semantics. You have perhaps a few moments before your hosts discover that you're not in your head. He hoisted up the shotgun, threw it to Lanyard, who caught it. The weapon felt real, cold and mean. You need to bring this to the grey place. Send me back, I'll deal with them. The gun's not real, it's just a shadow of a dream, Bower said. You need a mark to get it to you. I already made the mark, he said, confused. Not enough. You need to somehow make this, Bower said. He popped open his shirt studs, revealing the Jesus tattoo on his leathery chest. The ink was of a bleeding man, bound tight, hands clenched into fists but for his pointer fingers, one to left, the other to the right. Before and now were writs under each hand. You need a true image of the Lord of the Crossing, and only that will open a way for you. Why are you helping me? I killed you. You went gunning for a witch, not for coin or even to save yourself. You're following the rules and that makes you a Jesus man, like it or not. Then the scrub was gone and Lanyard was back in the witch's nest. They knew he'd been somewhere else and they brought the herding to him worse than ever. They broke him over and over till even those base creatures grew tired of such games. They meant to eat him, a failed Jesus man, munch his marrow in that nowhere land. Lanyard had lost all novelty for them, and they grew hungry. Enough of this, Lanyard wheezed, before they could maul him where he lay bound. He was starting to die the slow death, every breath an agony as his weight pulled against the slivers of iron driven through his palms. You mean to eat me? Then do it. But at least give me a belt of grog. The good stuff, so good you'll even taste it as you gorge on my gizzards. They laughed at this, and Not Lanyard gave a solemn bow. A final request, it is then, he said. They set to searching the before time for a grog shop, and he knew they'd be some long moments breaking through the dirty glass of this between place. He saw them pilfering often from the various wens, like bower birds. His right arm taut and trembling, he made a clumsy fist, pushed forward. The spike slid through his ragged palm, grating against the little bones and making him moan in pain. When he'd been bound only with a loop of hemp, he'd been picking away at a long sliver of wood on the wooden crossbeam, slowly working it loose. He snapped it free now, saw that it had a long, jagged end. Perfect. The witches were concentrating on their thieving, had torn a narrow hole into the before time. Not Gareth was pushing a waxy tentacle into a shop, reaching for a bottle of scotch. He'd need to be quick. Lanyard stabbed his stomach with a sharp splinter, biting down on his lips so he wouldn't cry out. He tried again, breaking the skin. With agonising slowness, he made a shallow cut, tracing the broken outline of his tattoo. It bled like a bastard, and he found it hard to guide the cut where it had to go. He completed the outline on his torso, crude but a true enough mark. Bower had spoken of the crossing man, the Jesus who dragged his mindless followers through this grey nothing place and was still in between somewhere. Lanyard finally understood himself stretched out between the before and the now, and he reached into the now with his free hand. All of his kit left out in the sun, clothes torn to shreds, the gun. Not-Gareth turned from its thieving to see that he'd freed an arm, and came running towards Lanyard, the grog forgotten. The last thing it saw was the double O of the shotgun, and then Lanyard drove eternity out of the witch with one thunderous round. Not Lanyard lunged for him with lightning speed, and Lanyard fired the second barrel. His shattered hand was aching, and his aim wasn't true. He only wounded it, and the witch crawled from him, shrieking and cursing him and trying to open a door to somewhere else. "'Come and eat me!' Lanyard cried, struggling with his left hand. He pulled it free from the spike, and then fell sideways like a sack of stones, feet still tied to the main shaft of the cross, and his legs twisted together painfully." He tore the rope free with his fumbling, bleeding hands, even as the witch used the last of its strength to tear a hole through the dirty glass. It crawled for freedom, gibbering and changing shape and looking at Lanyard with terror in its eyes. Lanyard limped across the nest, put his naked foot across something that might have been the witch's neck. Put you down like the dog you are, Lanyard said, hefting the empty gun by its hot barrels. He hammered the life out of the witch, and then some. He left that place through the hole that the witch had torn. He was terrified that the passage would drive most of the knowing out of his head, but it seemed he really was a Jesus man, a true guard of the crossing. He remembered it all and stood naked in the now. Bower had once spoken against breaking through to the before time, that it wasn't a golden world but an ending one, that witches were Jesus men who went back once too often. Lanyard only wanted his kit, a room in a squat, Maybe a sheila and a bottle of he had coin enough. Staggering through the bush, he found the spot where they jumped him, all his kits still lying there. He'd thought to see his handguns all rusted and jammed, but they were as fresh as the day he dropped them. He snatched up his satchel, found the last hunk of bread how he'd left it, and knew that he hadn't been gone more than a few hours. His clothes were useless rags, torn from him, and the only thing left to him was Bower's old slouch hat, snagged on a thorn bush. He laughed and cried and laughed again and wore that hat for all the good it could do him. The Torsi found him, half-dead and wandering naked across the salt flats. He was laughing and covered in the yellow lifeblood of a witch, which stank of corruption and stale piss. The young buck swept the man into his arms, cradling him as he bounced along the hunting trails and made for the camp. Lanyard knew no more. He woke to see the Torsi elders fussing over him. He was strapped in hemp bandages, aching all over. He hurt too much to be anything but alive. Two days now you slept, one of them said. Killed our witching fella, Jesus man. Lanyard Everett wore that most hated word and said nothing.
1: Cognita reviews. This Munch of you Book is Slice of Life by Paul Haynes. Paul Haynes has been writing horror since the late 90s, and he just keeps getting better. Although better may be an odd term to describe someone whose work regularly features feces, blood, cum, and vomit, and often in the same paragraph. Paul's writing is visceral, yes, it's also incredibly open and honest. Nothing is taboo, everything is on show in its awful, vulnerable and threatening rawness. It's terrible truth. He will show you the horrible side of yourself, the vicious pettiness, the weakness and the dangerous lust. Slice of Life is his second collection and a third is in the wind from Brimstone Press. The stories span the period from 2003 up to the present with a previously unpublished slice of life story. There are three in the collection, centering on Paul's delusional, paranoid corporate cannibal, also called Paul, who has a gourmet's eye for the finer cuts of, well, human flesh and organs, really. You're never really sure where Paul Haynes, the writer, ends and Paul Haynes, the main character in most of his stories, begins. His own experiences backpacking in Pakistan and India come to the fore in a couple of slice of life stories that detail the paranoid blood freezing and bowel loosening moments anyone who's travelled through the less civilised areas of our planet will instantly recognise. You know, those instances where you think everything's fine and then you realise you're alone with strangers in the middle of a deserted road miles from anywhere and if they wanted to do anything at all to you, they could and no one would ever know. I'm not sure if Paul's actually had a close encounter, but the collection also includes a handful of weird sci-fi stories where a good anal probing from our neighbourly extraterrestrials is the least of your worries. And then there's his own private version of Domestic Bliss, those tales of suburbia, including the Dittmar-winning novella The Devil and Mr Pussy, that detail the typical goings-on in the kind of street you live in yourself, and maybe the one Paul lives in too, but which you never hear about, unless they make the front page of your morning newspaper, accompanied by another four pages inside, with full-colour pictures of the crime scene. The fantasy genre doesn't escape Mr Haynes' gaze either in Slice of Life, with, for example, Necromancing the Bones, about a wizard and his knight who both have an unnervingly intimate interest in animal husbandry. Slice of Life is not for those who like pretty stories of love and daring. do Look elsewhere for that. What it does contain... Is original storytelling with a strong and compelling voice that you sometimes may not want to listen to and yet you're powerless to resist. Four stars. Slice of Life by Paul Haynes is published in Australia by the Main Press. You have been listening to Terra Incognita Australian Speculative Fiction Podcast. Visit tisf.com.au for links to the featured authors' websites and for details of the publications stories are copyright by the author book reviews are copyright keith stevenson 2010 this podcast is licensed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial share alike 2.5 australian license see our website for details please tune in next month for another podcast of the best australian speculative fiction read by the authors who created it